Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. We have been for the, since May, we've been in the gospel, I'm sorry, the epistle to the Galatians. And we'll be finishing up today. Uh, the crowd goes wild, right? <laughs> we, anytime we end, we end something, I realize what we've accomplished. We've been able to get through the entire epistle. Uh, it's taken us a while, but, but it's, it's been good. It's been good to basically take it verse by verse, chapter by chapter, to see what Paul has to say. Today we'll be covering just the last eight verses of the, uh, of the epistle of the Galatians. And my topic today, you'll like, it's called The Authentic the authentic, and you'll see exactly how that, that fits in. So you can follow along in your Bibles, on the bulletin, or on your screen. We'll begin in verse 11. Paul says, See with what large letters I've written to you with my own hand. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in the flesh. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. For now, on, on, from now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in the body of my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Amen. Now, these verses of Paul's, these last eight verses, are called, are called Paul's autograph. His autograph. You know, he says, see with what large letters I've written to you with my own hand. Now, you have to remember, 2,000 years ago, we didn't have uh, computers. Uh, we didn't have typewriters. We didn't even have big pens. We didn't even have ink pens. We had quills and ink. So what would happen is that typically a person would deliver a letter, a speech. They would be talking, and a scribe would sit next to them that would have plenty of space and all of the things they needed to be able to transcribe what is being said. So a person would typically be writing this, and then it was common at that time, we see this a lot in the old ancient letters, that, that the person that wrote the letter would sign it. That's where the signature came at the end, the autograph. Well, Paul's doing more than that because he's not just writing his signature. He's writing in large letters these last eight verses, this, this autograph. Now, you know, scholars love to speculate. Scholars speculate because the Bible is silent on a lot of things, so they love filling in the blanks. They love reading between the lines. So volumes have, literally, volumes have been written about these eight verses, about why Paul was writing in such large letters. And he does this not only here, but he does this in four other epistles as well. Many speculate, these scholars will speculate that maybe Paul had poor eyesight. Now, there are, is a verse um, in one of the epistles that talks about his weak eyes. So they say, well, maybe he was blind. 
and he has to write with real large letters. But I think it's really much more simple than that. Paul wrote in large letters and mentioned it in the epistles because he knew that these epistles would be, would be written to other churches. They initially went to the Galatians, but then they went on to the Corinthians. They went on to Thessalonians and on to Rome and on to us here in the 21st century. It, it, I still can't believe it's the 21st century. I keep on thinking it's the 20th. It's the 21st century, my goodness. But, and, and here we are 2,000 years later, and these letters have been written, but Paul's writing saying, I've written this in large letters, calls our attention that this is Paul's autograph. And what does autograph mean? It means uh, it's authentic. Aha, the title of my message, right? Paul, this is, this is the authentic. And the first thing we see is the, it's the authentic Paul. This is Paul. Now I'm going to have a few different uh, uh, authentic, so I'm going to take them, take you through them one by one. The authentic Paul, the authentic faith, the authentic gospel, the authentic walk, and the authentic grace. Okay, but we won't spend too much time because we've already gone through a lot of this, but Paul wants to mention again at the end. So let's go on. Paul says in verse 13, he says, as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these try to compel you to be circumcised. And remember, Paul has spent a lot of time talking about this error, okay, this, this, this false gospel that had crept in, uh, telling people they needed, that, they needed more than just Jesus, that Jesus was insufficient. They needed to also embrace the law. Uh, the men needed to be circumcised. And many of these were Greeks that were following, uh, following Jesus Christ. But Paul says that if you follow the law, you fall into bondage because the Jews can never fulfill the law. If the Jews could have fulfilled the law, there was no reason for Jesus to come. The Jewish religion would have been sufficient, but it was insufficient. That's why Jesus came. But Paul says, don't fall into bondage. But then he says something interesting, and if you, I mean, you probably didn't catch it, but it says, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. You see, this is subtle, and it's actually, Paul hasn't mentioned it before, but the matter is, is that these Judaizers had been telling the people that they needed to be circumcised, they needed to follow the law, and what was happening if they didn't? They were persecuted. They would fall under persecution. You see, they were trying to follow the gospel, trying to do what they believed, but there was persecution. People were telling them, and Paul says that sometimes one of the reasons that people were falling into bondage and following, uh, following these Judaizers was so that they wouldn't be persecuted. But see, this brings us to our second point, and that's the authentic faith. Because the authentic faith endures persecution. In fact, I have a slide here that says what it is. It says, authentic faith is not only the faith that saves, but is the faith that as well that perseveres under hardship. You see, it's one thing to say you have faith. It's one thing to have belief. It's one thing to uh, have an opinion. But when others come against you and they tell you that your opinion is wrong, that your faith is insufficient, if they start to persecute you, that's where faith really hits the ground, right? That's really the difference between true faith and not an, untr an untrue faith. Um, Oswald Chambers, some of you know him because he wrote his utmost to, to the highest. He was, over 100 years ago, he wrote this. But it's a, it's a wonderful uh, daily devotional. I read it almost every single day. And he writes this. He says, faith is the supreme effort in your life. Did you know that? Faith is an effort. Faith is a supreme effort in your life. It's throwing yourself with abandon to the total confidence of God. 
If God said it, I'm going to believe it. I'm going to live the life that God wants me to live regardless of what comes against me. That's authentic faith. That's what it is. Perseverance means more than endurance. Sometimes people think that, uh, that uh, perseverance just means you've, you've lived a long time. No, not at all. Endurance is it's, it's endurance in the midst of hardship and suffering. It's easy to say we have faith when there's no struggles, no hardship, no persecution. But an authentic faith is unlike any other. It, it's a confidence. It's a, it's a confidence in God that God not only promises, but is able to deliver. God promises an eternal life, but he has a plan for you in this life as well. And that's what our faith is. That's the, that's the authentic faith. Um, you know, Paul said in Romans 8.28, and I rarely use this verse, but this is the appropriate context, that all things work together for good. This is the appropriate context. It's in our faith. It's enduring persecution. It's enduring hardship that all things work together for good for those that love God, for those that are called according to his plans, his purposes. That's what enduring faith is. That's what the authentic faith is. So let's continue. Verse 14, Paul says, But God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You know, probably the Apostle Paul, more than anybody else, has memorialized this idea of the cross of Christ. When we think of the glory of the cross, well, here we are again in the 21st century, right? 2,000 years removed from the crucifixion of the Romans. So we don't really get the same picture people did 2,000 years ago. When Paul says that he glories in the cross, he's talking about an, an instrument of torture. He's talking about an instrument of execution. It would be like today saying, I glory in the firing squad. Uh, I glory in the hangman's noose or the electric chair. That's, that's what the cross was. But Paul understood that it wasn't what he was doing, it's what Christ had already done on his behalf. He fully embraced what Christ had accomplished on the cross. And Paul is saying that he's not going to glory in his fame. He's not going to glory in his apostleship. He's not going to glory in his mind or his ability to lead. He's going to glory only in the, in the cross. He cared only about the glory of the cross and the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is exactly what the authentic gospel is. Now, that's our third reference. So what is the authentic gospel? If you remember a few weeks ago, we discussed how Paul had expressed his astonishment that they had so quickly turned away from the faith that he taught them and they were following another gospel. Well, if they're following another gospel, we want to know what the authentic gospel is. We know what the authentic faith is, but now what's the authentic gospel? And I have a slide for that. You figured I would. The authentic gospel is an encounter with Jesus. That's really what it is. You know, on the route to Damascus, Paul had an encounter with Jesus. Remember that? Uh, in Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul is saying that he had this encounter with Jesus. Remember, they knocked him off his horse. There was a light in the eye, and, and, and the Lord spoke, uh, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me, right? This is an encounter with Jesus. But Paul's saying that it changed his life, and that's the rest of our definition. The authentic gospel is an encounter with Jesus that changes 
everything. It literally changes everything. Some of you have that testimony yourself, that after you came to Christ, after you came to faith in Christ, you, you had changed significantly that it literally changed everything. You know, but then here's the thing. So many people think that this Jesus, this relationship I have is just about me and Jesus, but it was never that way. The Bible never puts it that way. We are all called to be disciples. We are all called to be disciple makers. You know, the great commandment, the great commission, the great commission that you're just going to all of the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and I'll be with you until the end of the age. That's not just for preachers. That's just not for pastors. That's for all of us, because it changes is everything. This is, why, this is why Paul finishes up by this thoughts by saying, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but it's a new creation. You see, you're, you're born again. You're, you're something that didn't exist before. It, it changes literally everything. The gospel transforms you and it transforms societies. It renews families. It heals relationships. It heals marriages. It brings back the prodigal son. It turns a sinner into a saint. It turns a, a tax collector into an apostle. It takes a fisherman like Peter and makes him a fisher of men. That's what the gospel does. That's the authentic gospel. That's, that's the idea of, of embracing the rule and the reign of Jesus. It, it changes literally everything. So let's continue. Verse 16 in your bulletin says, And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Paul prays a blessing, a blessing for those who walk in God's truth. And of course, this is our next authentic point. It's an authentic walk, an authentic walk. Paul, uh, Jesus told his disciples, Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. You know, there are many poets and, and songwriters and prophets and sages that have talked about this life as a journey, as a walk. And we often say that, right? How's your walk? You know, how, how is the walk? You know, it's kind of a journey that we go on. But Jesus made it very clear that the Christian walk, walking with Jesus, is a, a narrow walk. What does that mean? That means you've got to be very careful. You need to be circumspect of where you step because otherwise you can fall off the path, right? That's the idea. I'm always careful when I'm walking, okay? I'm walking with my wife and we're walking around the lake because sometimes the, the, the curb is right there and it's easy to fall off the curb. Now, really, all that is is a little embarrassing because you just kind of take a little tumble, okay? But Jesus is saying, be very careful. All too often, people just go to church. You know, they're satisfied with the very minimum they can possibly do to somehow satisfy an angry God. And they've got it completely wrong. Completely wrong. That's, that's a complete misconception of what Christianity is about. Christianity is not about just doing the minimum, it's about a changed life. But so often, we have misperceptions. Did that happen to you? I mean, I, when I was a kid, <laughs> when I was a kid, I, I, was, I was very observant. I was watching all kinds of things. Then I would announce to my mom and dad what I had observed, and they would laugh. Because often I was seeing something and I was interpreting it based on my six-year-old or five-year-old brain, uh, but it was a misconception. 
So I, I got to tell you a story. You like stories, right? Okay. Now, normally I tell stories about my wife or my children because if I embarrass them, that's just fun. Okay. But this is, a, this is about me. So I don't usually tell stories about me, but, but I think you'll like it. So when I was little, I'm talking about five, six years old, I was first going to, to school. And um, my dad had, some of you remember my dad, Bill. Um, he lived here with, his, my, with, my, with my mom uh, for a few years, and uh, he's no longer around, but I think of him every day. And my dad was always in the car business, always had been in the car business. When he first started, he was on the finance side of the car business, meaning that he was allowing people to buy a car on time. Remember, that's how you buy a car. You pay payments on the car. And if you're a young man getting into the car business and you're uh, on the finance side, they start you off on collections, right? We used to call it dialing for dollars, right? Well, <laughs> He was also on the repossession side. He would go out, and, and I would observe this, he would go out uh, sometime during the night after I had fallen asleep, and in the morning there would be two, three, sometimes four cars in front of our house. Sometimes one would still be attached to a tow truck, okay? And this was what my dad did. He would go out at night and take cars, right? So I remember um, my teacher, our teacher, I think I was in kindergarten at the time, uh, wanted us uh, to get up and tell us, tell everybody what our daddies did for a living. So, so, you know, there were some pilots and some bankers, you know, and some, some uh, bricklayers and some carpenters. And I got up and I said, my daddy steals cars. <laughs> my, my daddy steals cars. And my teacher tried to correct me, right? And she said, oh, Kenny, I, I, I'm sure your daddy, oh, yes, he does. He steals cars. I know he steals cars because I go to sleep at night and then he goes out in the middle of the night and, and there's cars in front of the house and sometimes there's even a tow truck. So I probably wouldn't remember this as well except she told my mother, okay? And my, and my mother reminded me till her dying day. <laughs> so, but that's, that's the idea of a misconception. So let's get back to this authentic walk. The authentic walk in Christianity is a, is a narrow way. It's, it's, it's a lie when people say, well, you know, it, it really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Have you heard that? Or many, there's many, many paths that lead to, to God, right? You only have to be sincere. Well, people that say that are sincerely wrong. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus made it very clear that his death on the cross was the difference between the rest of the world's way and his way. He doesn't require much except to understand who he is. He did the work for us. Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. It's a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And we don't do things, we look to the one who has already done things. Jesus is the one that, that paid the price. That's why Jesus says, I'm the way. In the verse I read earlier, Jesus also said, he's not only the way that leads to life, he said the way that leads to life is hard and the gate is narrow. But then he said this, he said, and few are those that find it. Now that should wake you up. That should wake you up. It should keep you up at night. It gets me to church, that's for sure. Few are I find it, which means that my friends, my family, my neighbors, those that I love dearly may not find the way. They, we've got to be, that's why we're constantly talking to people about Jesus. We're constantly telling them of our transformed life. We're constantly encouraging people. That's why Daniela is bringing her brother to church today. She wants him to find Jesus because there are few that find it. I'm not sure what the definition of a few. I know, but it's a lot less than many.
a lot less than many. So, this, so my definition is this, is that the authentic walk is narrow. It's a narrow way. As I said, that can sometimes be, be very, very uh, frightening. So let's finish up with Paul's final words to these Galatians. Paul says, Paul says in verse 18, he says, Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now that's called a benediction. We do that at the end of our service. Every, every Sunday, we give a benediction, a blessing, okay? Benediction is two Greek words, beni and diction. Beni means well, and diction means to talk. It's words, so sometimes it's to speak well. Benediction is to, to speak well, and Paul did that all through his epistle. He was, he was speaking well. He was blessing these Galatians, even though he was telling them many times that uh, they were all messed up. Remember Paul, uh, right after he said, you know, talked about sexual immorality and adultery and all of these evil sins. Pastor Hal talked about it a few weeks ago. Then he gave us the fruit of the Spirit. He said the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering. It's kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and, and self-control. We can, if anything, the, the epistle to the Galatians is, is a corrective. It's a corrective epistle. Paul was trying to correct us. Throughout Galatians, Paul had some rather strong things to say to these wild Galatians, right, that had, had departed from the gospel that he had entrusted to them. He said, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ to another gospel that was uh, in the first chapter of Galatians. And then right after that, he says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Remember, we talked about bewitching the evil eye. Who has bewitched you? Okay, and caused you to, to, fall, to, to take heed to a, to a different gospel. Again, he calls them, them foolish. But, and this is the point of grace, with all of these corrections that were necessary, Paul still blesses them. He still gives them grace. He says, brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be, be with you. And this finishes up our authentics. It talks about grace. Grace is the essential part of God's character. Grace is the gift of God's favor. You know, often we define grace as God's unmerited favor, which it is. But this is the thing. It's part of God's character. And what it is, it's his favor. It's his favor. Remember when you were in, when you were in school, it always seemed like there was a, a teacher's pet. The teacher's pet, no, they can do no wrong, right? They always seem to get the better grades. They seem to always have the, the, the good assignments. God gives you favor. God gives you favor. Remember, God always had the people of Israel. He said, Abraham, I'm going to make your people my people. I'll be your God. God always had a, a people. And, and the people of Israel didn't deserve it. <laughs> Not at all. I mean, they did horrible things, but God's favor was on them. And that's what God's grace is. It's his, it's his favor towards you, regardless of who you are. He calls you, their, you, your, their, you his son and his daughter. God has, has favor. So as we close these books with Paul's benediction, it's not grand, but it's not long, but it is a, it is a benediction. Paul says, brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. You know, I could have pulled benedictions out of Corinthians and out of Ephesians. They're much longer and they're much grander, but Paul is still providing the favor of God. It's not his grace. It's God's grace that he's extending to this, these people in Galatia. He's extending the grace of God. He's extending also, notice, to their spirit. Now, the spirit is the, is the, one, the thing that doesn't die. 
Your body may die. Your body may, may get old. But your spirit lives on. Your spirit never dies. The spirit of man that lives forever. It's the spirit of men and women that have been quickened. They've been quickened. They are now alive through the power of the living God. So Paul has taught us, just in these eight verses, a lot about authentic identity. It was originally the first, it was the authentic Paul. We saw that with his large handwriting, the authentic Paul. He spoke of the authentic faith, the authentic gospel, the authentic walk, and then he finishes up with the authentic grace, the grace of God. He says, brothers, let the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you and with your spirit. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.